All right. Thank you, Menno. Let me just kind of set a little bit of a timer here so I don't... We have lunch to get to. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It is wonderful to be here with you guys. I have been looking forward uh, to joining you uh, for this weekend for quite some time. Uh, this is actually my first time uh, in Brussels. It's my first time on the continent, actually, at all. Uh, I've spent a little bit of time in the UK, uh, but it's, it's wonderful to be here and to, and to get to share with all of you. Um, an interesting uh, little bit on my side, my wife, uh, Brittany's family, 40 years ago, lived in Brussels, in Zovington, for eight years. Most of her, most of her siblings were born in, in Zovington, and so, I don't know, this sort of feels like destiny, you know, like, this is meant to be, this is very exciting, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to being here. Um, I want to start today by sharing a little bit of my, my journey into the vineyard, because I think it'll help you get to know me a little bit, and I think it just uh, encapsulates so many beautiful things about our, our vineyard family. Um, I was uh, born into a Christian family, but I did not grow up in a vineyard church. Uh, the church that I grew up in was a uh, Baptist church. I don't know, do you guys have Baptists here? I figure Baptists are probably around the world. Um, and I, I'm not sure exactly how Baptists are here, um, but the, the Baptist church that I grew up in was uh, very um, traditional, very evangelical. It was in the Reformed tradition, which I know you guys are well acquainted with here. And um, I, I grew up in a church family where I learned a tremendous amount about uh, value for the scriptures, a tremendous amount about fellowship in the body. Um, I grew up knowing Jesus. I grew up loving Jesus. But I didn't know the first thing about the Holy Spirit. And so I got all kinds of beautiful, wonderful things out of that upbringing. I'm, I'm grateful for it, absolutely, to this day. Um, but when I first began to come into uh, the vineyard, it was a very dissonant experience for me. Um, I, I was originally not headed towards ministry. Uh, I have a PhD in all things in quantum physics. So I was headed on a very different trajectory in life. Um, and it was in the process of graduate school that I came to this, the community that I now live in. And uh, a friend of mine, actually a couple of friends, including this guy, Andrew, were attending this interesting church called a Vineyard Church. And I thought that was very strange because uh, the Baptists in, in the U.S. had trained me to think that alcohol was a bad thing. Um, and so a vineyard church seemed like a very strange kind of church. Um, and, and when I came in, I was, I was warmly greeted. Uh, we had a time of worship just, just kind of like we just had there. We had um, some teaching. And it was all fine. It was okay uh, until we got to the end. And at the end, the, 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 the pastor comes up and he says, well, here at the vineyard, we believe that God still does stuff. He's still active. He's doing things. And he lists off a, a number of uh, words of knowledge. I don't remember what any of them were, but you're probably familiar. You know, so somebody got back pain, someone had something wrong with their knee, whatever. And he, he concludes by saying, you know, we have a group of people. They're trained to pray. And if you'd like to receive prayer about any of these things, you know, as we conclude, come on up. They'll pray for you, and we'll probably see God do some amazing things. Well, part of being a Baptist means knowing that you know everything. And, and I had never seen or heard of this at all before. 
So I'm sitting like kind of about halfway down on this side, maybe let's say uh, the, the gentleman in the nice button-down shirt there that's got, yeah, I'm sitting right about there. And I'm kind of like, it's actually a room laid out a lot like this. It's very familiar to this. Um, and I'm like, who are these people? This is crazy. My arms cross. I start shaking my head. I am closed. I am judgmental. Now, for some reason, I came back the next week. I was, I was very busy in graduate school. Most of my life was focused on that. But I knew I needed a church family to encourage my, my walk in faith. And so I find myself back there the next week just as closed. Back the next week just as closed. And I am like that for four years. For four years, I am attending a vineyard church completely anti-Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I, I make my way from there gradually to the back, and I'm just kind of like this every single church service. It's the Lord's mercy that I stayed. I have no idea, no idea exactly why. So, so this is me. This is my upbringing. And what happens is God kind of ambushes me. I don't know if God's ever ambushed you, but he, he ambushed me, and he kind of like got me crammed into the corner. Um, where I couldn't do anything, and then he jumped out, and he frightened me and changed my life. And the way that that worked was this. I'm uh, just a little bit of my background. Uh, where, where we live now is about two hours south of Chicago. I figure many of you may have a general idea where Chicago is. And I grew up in the Chicago area for the entirety of my childhood, except for one year. When my parents turned 40 years old, they took myself and my younger brother, I was seven years old, he was five, and we moved to mainland China to be missionaries for a year. And so as a seven-year-old, you know, I'm in China, I'm seeing my parents disciple people in, you know, a church knowing that if these people get caught, they're going to prison. I mean, all of that, it was a very stretching experience for a seven-year-old. And uh, in that process, um, my heart really just bonded with China and, and all things Chinese, the food, the language, obviously the church, it was, it was really significant for me. But after that year, we moved back to, uh, to the U.S., I, I grew up, I did my undergrad, find myself in Champaign for graduate school, and about halfway through my degree, our church starts a missions partnership with China where we start sending teams to work with house churches in China and train them and equip them. You can't really plant churches in China because it's illegal, but you can work with the church that's there and help them kind of continue to, to grow and do their thing. And so we start this partnership up, and um, I'm talking to one of the people from the partnership, and he's like, oh, Putty, you need to go to China. It's going to be amazing. And I remember saying, yeah, I absolutely want to go to China. But I am a broke, married graduate student, and I don't have $2,000 for like a 10-day trip. But if God gives me any money to go, I'll go. And have you ever said one of those things where you say it, and God kind of like just keeps it in the back of your mind for later? You know what I mean? It's one of these things. God sort of circles that. He's like, all right, you said it. You know, we're going to hold you to that. And so what happens is a couple of months after that, we wind up having a, uh, a physics um, uh, kind of year-end celebration at the end of our academic school year. This is about May. And I attend the lunch. I'm a broke married graduate student, so I'm there for the free lunch. I'm not really, you know, paying much attention to the program or anything. I'm eating. And in the middle of 
a conversation with my, uh, one, one of the other students that's sitting there, I hear my name getting called. And I'm like, what? what what's going on? And they're, they're kind of like motioning like I'm supposed to come up in front of everybody. And so I, I kind of walk up there and, hi, you know, what, what, what's going on? And um, the, the person who is emceeing says, you've been awarded a scholarship. And I said, oh, that's, that must be a mistake. I didn't, I didn't apply for any scholarship. And he's like, you've been awarded a scholarship, you know? <laughs> and, and so I'm like, am I, just quick question, is this like a financial scholarship? Is there money attached to this? And, and the guy says, yes, this is a $10,000 scholarship. And I said, thank you, yes, I you know, graciously accept. Well, if that wasn't enough, I actually wound up being awarded four scholarships that day. I didn't apply for any of them. So I walked out of that room with about $25,000 that just got dumped on me. And I'm stunned making my way back to the physics building. Like, what on earth was that? And I hear in the back of my head, if God gives me the money to go, I'll go. And I thought, okay, I have to do this. This is a matter of obedience at this point. And so I, I tell the team leader, I'm, I'm going to go. I give her the money. She buys the plane ticket. All of this is happening, and I'm very excited. I'm very much looking forward to it. And when we get about three months out, I reach out to the team leader. I say, how can I be preparing? You know, like, I, I'm really looking forward to this. I want to make the most of this trip. And she says, oh, I've, I've been looking forward to this particular trip for a while because this is the trip where we're going to go and we're going to teach them how to pray for the sick. We're going to do healing. We're going to do the five-step prayer model. We're going to do vineyard stuff, you know? And I hear this, and I'm like, oh, you know, couldn't we just go build something, you know, or dig a well? Or there's a lot of ways to do missions. We have to do healing, you know? But I've already spent $1,000 on this plane ticket, and I made a deal that God's holding me accountable to. So I'm like, fine. And, and we kind of make this deal. And the deal is this. I'll go and I'll participate but when it comes to the prayer times, the rest of the team can do the prayer times because that's not really my thing. And she says, that'll work. And I say, okay, that's, that, that's good enough. And so we get there and uh, we're in China and we're doing the ministry and, and it's wonderful and it's fantastic. And we get to the day of the Holy Spirit ministry training, five-step prayer model, the last day of the trip. And we get there and we're teaching. They had given me a section on kingdom theology, so I teach a little bit on kingdom theology and all of that goes well. And then we get to the first clinic time. And we're doing that thing where, you know, we're all sitting there. Someone had set a timer. We're all sitting there trying to listen for words of knowledge. And I'm kind of just twiddling my thumbs, you know. I'm like, I'm like, this is on you guys. I don't even believe in this stuff, you know. So that's all on you. And as I'm sitting there, I notice my, my left forearm starts feeling very strange, and when I, when I, I kind of like look at it, and I'm like, I'm definitely feeling something that I have never felt before in my forearm. And as I try and pay attention, what I realize is that it's like it's between the two bones on the inside of my arm. Like I'm not feeling it on the outside. It's like in the inside of my arm. And I'm looking, I'm kind of thinking, I didn't know you could feel something on the inside of your arm. That's very interesting. And, and as I'm paying attention to it, it's getting stronger and more significant and pronounced. And, you know, at first I could sort of like a little bit ignore it. I can't ignore it anymore. And I'm thinking, wow, that is so odd. And as I'm looking at this, I remember I had, I had attended that, the prayer training that we were going to do like three or four weeks earlier, because I knew I had to teach it, you know, so I have to at least know, I don't believe the material, but I have to at least know it to teach it. 
And, and so I remember in that class, they had mentioned this thing called a sympathy pain. And, and the, the brief idea of a sympathy pain is that, like, you experience something in your body that's kind of like a mirror image of what's happening in someone else's body. It's one of the ways you get one of these word, words of knowledge things that I don't believe in. And so I thought, oh, that's weird. You know, that's the strangest. These, these charismatics make up the weirdest stuff, you know. And but so, so I just kind of dismissed it. But, but in the moment, this, this idea of a sympathy pain comes back to me. And I think, huh, that's so weird. I think, well, you know what? We're in China. I'm just going to throw it out. You know, whatever. Why not? So <laughs> we, we conclude the, the timer winds down. The team leader says, does anybody have something to share? And I said, well, you know, I, I don't know. Does somebody have something going on with their left forearm? And immediately, this gal responds. Now, briefly, let, let, let me just say this. Most of the ministry gatherings that I had been in were in a church. Uh, the church that I attend is a, a rather large vineyard church in the U.S. And so most of the gatherings that I had been in would be like this size. And one of the things you have to realize, I'm not a pastor, okay? At, at, well, now I am, but then I wasn't a pastor. And, and so when I process words of knowledge, I process it like a scientist, not like a pastor. And so, for example, like in a room like this, if I'm like, okay, somebody in here has lower back pain. As a scientist, I know there's like 15 people in here with lower back pain because lower back pain's common. Like a lot of people have it. And so for me, when I'm hearing words of knowledge, a lot of times I'm like, of course there's somebody with knee pain. Of course somebody has, you know, someone in here diabetes. You know, like all of these things are kind of, kind of natural, kind of normal. This is how I processed a lot of this. But I'm in a room with 12 people. And when I say left forearm, that is very specific and not very common. There's no, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what you can do to your forearm other than break it. Like, there's not a lot to go wrong, right? And so when I say left forearm, and this gal immediately responds. She says, oh, yeah, I, I sprained my left wrist about six months ago. It has never healed, and the doctors don't know what's going on. Now, I'm immediately, as a scientist, like, huh, that's weird. And I'm kind of trying to, like, think through what are the odds, you know, 12 people, how frequent, you know. I'm going off into this space. And meanwhile, our team leader is, is kind of talking to the group in Chinese, and she's saying my name. And I'm just thinking, oh, she's, she's probably explaining how I got the word of knowledge or something. You know, I'm not, not really paying attention to her. And next thing I know, she's like, all right, putty, come on up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And, and I remembered that in the vineyard, the way they do it is if you get the word of knowledge, you usually lead the prayer time. And I'm like, oh, no, I forgot. No, you know, and, 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 and what am I going to do? You know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the missionary that came all the way from America. They all think I'm an expert, and it actually worked, you know? Like, what, what am I going to say, no? So, so I'm, I'm like, oh, fine. So I, I make my way up, and I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? Like, this is, I don't... Fine, whatever. And so it's me, it's the gal we're praying for, it's the team leader, she's translating, and then the rest of the room is in a circle around us. And I'm thinking, what do I do? And I realize that I'm like, wait a minute, I've seen these vineyard people do this like hundreds of times. Here's how it works, okay? It's real simple. This is the, the non-charismatic guide to being vineyard, okay? You, you, you say, oh, you've, you've got something wrong. You ask one or two questions about it. You know, how long has it been hurting you? Is it real bad or something like that? Then you say, then you say, can I put my hand on your shoulder? Because we like to touch each other for some reason. 
And, and you always start praying by saying, come Holy Spirit. I don't know why. It doesn't do anything, but that's what you start with. You talk to the ceiling for a little bit, and, and then you say, you know, like, I, I'd like the pain to go in Jesus' name, and you do that for, for about a minute or two, and then you encourage the person to stay in faith because God might heal him later, even though he didn't heal him right now. I, I've seen this. I know how this works. I can do that, you know? And so, and so... I, I go through the process. I ask her a couple of questions about her forearm. You know, I ask her if I can put my hand on her shoulder. She says yes, and I invite the Holy Spirit to come. And the craziest thing happens. He does. <laughs> he really does. Okay, here's what happens. Well, I'm standing there. I've got my hand on her shoulder. We're in a hotel suite. You don't meet in church buildings in China because you can't have them. So we're, we've rented a hotel suite for the day. And when I invite the Holy Spirit to come, I feel a presence come through the ceiling of the hotel room right above her and drop on her. And I'm not talking like the, oh, God's in the room. Like, that's real and that's good. I'm just, I'm just differentiating. This, this hits her with the force of a waterfall. And she buckles in a split second, just collapses straight down. Not forward, not backward. Just crumples, boom, straight down like this. She goes, boom, she drops like this. Now, when that's happening, the circle around us that's watching, a bunch of them respond. I hear kind of collectively around me, gasp, and then I hear thud, 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 thud. And in 10 seconds, we've gone from classroom to war zone. There's bodies everywhere. People are shaking and vibrating and snotting, and, and all of this is happening. And, and I'm thinking, what on earth just happened to this room? Like, this is the craziest thing ever. And, and I'm taking it all in, and I come back. My hand is still on the gal's shoulder. You know, it's kind of down here. And I come back, and I look at her, and she is making, like, very strange faces. She's, she's like kind of twisting and contorting, and I can't understand what she's saying, but she's saying all kinds of stuff that doesn't look very kind. And, and so I say to the team leader, I said, what is she doing? You know, what's she saying? And the team leader says, it's a demon. And I said, what's a demon? <laughs> and she says, she's manifesting a demon right now. And no joke, this is, this is the one, this is the thought that goes through my head. I, said, I think to myself, okay, the one class that I took on this, which I don't even believe in, never mentioned demons. <laughs> like, I'm so, so far in over my head. Like, I, I don't know what to do. So she's manifesting. She's like, snarling and everything. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And I start racking my brain. And fortunately, being a good Baptist, I had spent a good amount of time reading the scriptures growing up. And, and through, through my life. And so I thought, okay, well, I know Jesus drove out a bunch of demons. You know, what did he do? And I'm, I'm trying to think about, what did he do? I'm like, he just told them to come out. Like, that's the, that's the only thing I can think of. So I think, well, this is happening. I got to try something. You know, now they all really think I'm good at this. Um, so, so, so I'm like, all right, come out of her in Jesus' name. And she looks at her, she's just like, you know, and I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know if that worked or not, you know, and so I, I just, I don't know what else to do, so I just keep commanding, come out in Jesus' name, and, and it's this bizarre thing. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, the kind of full-on demonic manifestation, but it's, it's a very bizarre experience because the person can be lucid, and they're there, and they're talking to you, and then all of a sudden, the demon kind of steps to the front, and then they're snarling at you, and then it kind of settles back down, and then the person's there again, and it's that whole experience. It's just back and forth and back and forth, and 
bizarre and strange and weird. But after about uh, 45 minutes or so, uh, eventually she kind of shudders, and, and, and I can tell something happened. She shudders, and she goes, oh, and she starts talking Chinese. And what is she saying? What is she saying? And she's saying, it, it laughed. And I'm thinking, okay, be really specific, okay? I don't know what laughed, and this is a dramatic environment. <laughs> what laughed? And, and she says, I feel this kind of dark cloud over my life all the time, and it just laughed. Like, I, I feel really good right now. And I thought, okay, uh, check your wrist out. Roll your wrist around a little bit. You know, because that was how we got started in this whole mess. And, <laughs> and she rolls her wrist around. She goes, it feels great. I think I'm healed. And she gets up off the ground, and I get up off the ground. Everybody else gets up off the ground. And there's a million questions in the room, and most of them are mine. <laughs> because, because I don't believe any of this. That, for me, needless to say, was a pretty pivotal experience in my life. And as my, story, as my journey has continued from there, obviously, uh, in time, God called me into ministry. In time, you know, I'm working at a church, and there's all of those layers as well, which maybe we'll talk about some other time. <clears throat> but for me, <laughs> my journey involved God ambushing me, his kingdom apprehending my life and bringing it in a different direction. And what I love about that story, what I love about that journey is I feel like it, it represents and it uh, embodies so much of what's beautiful about our vineyard tribe. You know, I don't think, I honestly don't think there's any other movement that I could have met the Holy Spirit in. I, I mean, I was, I was a Baptist guy. If I had showed up at, you know... I, Randy Clark is a wonderful man and a friend of mine, so I don't say this disparagingly. But if I'd have showed up at, at Randy Clark, or if I'd have gone to Bethel, again, good friends of mine, uh, or, or any of the other kind of mainline charismatic movements nowadays, it would have been too much for me because I wasn't looking for charismatic craziness. I was looking for the word. I was a word guy. And what's incredible about our tribe is we are word and spirit people. We are fully committed to both of them. And so I think the vineyard is the only place that I could stick around long enough that God could kind of shove me in that corner and give me no other option and then ambush me. I also love that, you know, I'm not sure where else in the vineyard I could have stuck around judging the Holy Spirit for four years and a church would still love and accept me. I mean, they're like, it's okay, just come back, you know, come as you are, you'll be loved, right? I mean, you... It, we're, we're people of, of compassion and mercy. It's wherever you're at, hey, you know what? It's cool. Let's do this thing together. You're part of the family because you're moving towards Jesus. And it was only in the, the, the vineyard that I could do that. It's only in the vineyard that we, we are this naturally supernatural people, right? And, and you know, this is, this is kind of the way I, I, I frame that. God does a lot of weird stuff. But we in the vineyard, we're not in the business of adding weird to God, right? God can be as weird as he wants to, right? We're going to just be ourselves. We'll let God be weird if he wants, but I'm not going to be weird to try and get God to move, right? We're, we're just, we're just a, a beautiful, naturally supernatural group of people. And, and because of all of that and more, there's other layers as well. I love, love, love this vineyard tribe, this vineyard family. There's no other place 
that I think could be home the way this place is home. And so as we spend this time together, I, I'm just, I'm honestly just grateful to be with my Global Vineyard family. I love that, you know, we were funny, we were in, that, in the prayer room back there right before we prayed, or right before the thing, the, the one that one of you guys had mentioned, someone mentioned earlier, prayer room back there, and we're praying for the conference and the service and all of that, and, and someone, I'm not even sure who it was, someone says, oh, Putty, let's pray for you. And so I, I go, oh, okay, you know, and I know exactly what to do. I'm going to stand in the middle. I'm going to do this. Everybody's going to come around. They're going to put their hands on me. It doesn't matter where you are. There's a, it's the vineyard way, you know, like I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. <clears throat> We're going to go on an, an adventure uh, this weekend. I am, I'm really excited uh, for the things that I, I believe the Father's going to be taking us through, going to be uh, we're going to be exploring and talking about, ministering to one another. And I, uh, before we jump in specifically to the identity stuff, which we're going to sink our teeth into, we're going to spend a lot of time there. But before we jump into that, I think it's important, um, I, I want to frame this weekend a little bit. Um, I've had the, the privilege in the last, I don't know, 24 months or so, to be a little more involved in the vineyard on a uh, more global level than I, than I was previously. And so, you know, in the last 12 months, uh, I've been involved with uh, some national stuff in the U.S., some stuff in the U.K., uh, some stuff in Australia. Now, now I'm here. I'm, I'm kind of getting a bit of a snapshot of what God is doing with the vineyard globally. And everywhere I go, the thing that I'm seeing increasingly is God is bringing our vineyard family globally into a new season. There is, there is a, a fresh season that is on the table for the vineyard across the globe. And the biggest thing that, that I want to do, that, honestly, the, the most important maybe of all the things we're going to talk about this, this weekend is I felt like the Father sent me here to tell you, guys, it's a new season, it's a new day, and if you'll say yes, he's going to bring you into it. If you'll say yes, he's going to bring you into it. You're going to see more of the Holy Spirit moving. You're going to grow up into who you are in Christ in new ways. That's the identity thing. And you're going to begin to re reach your community more effectively than you ever have before. And so I'm actually really feeling this right now. Let's do this. Um, I know maybe not everybody in here is from Vineyard Benelux, but if you are in Vineyard Benelux, would you just stand up real quick? I just, I need to, we need a, this. <laughs> okay. Just put your hands out, the vineyard thing, you all know it. <laughs> uh, all right, Vineyard Benelux, a new season, a new season. The Father right now is saying, receive the fresh vines in the vineyard. Receive fresh vines in the vineyard. Holy Spirit, we just say yes. We say yes to what you're doing. We say yes to how you're moving. We want every bit of it, every bit of it. And so, Spirit of God, we invite you, move in your vineyard, fresh wine in your vineyard again, fresh wine in your vineyard again. Jesus, we say we are your people. You live in us, and we want to live as you to this world. And so, Jesus, I'm asking, show us what it means that we're in you and you're in us. 
And Father, I thank you that your heart is for our communities, it's for our cities. God, we want to be a city on a hill, God, a lamp, not hidden, not in the corner of the room, shining, God, so that you would reach your cities through us. And so I bless you guys in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I welcome you into this new season in the vineyard. Amen. Amen. All right. So for the rest of our our time here today, I want to talk about how we position ourselves in a new season, okay? Uh, I want to frame this thing up, and then uh, starting tonight, we'll talk about identity and the kingdom and and all of that great stuff. Um, We in the vineyard globally, I I think part of this new season is connected to the timeline of our movement as a whole. Um, And what I see is I see God doing a really interesting thing across our movement. And I think that um, one of the the key verses for that would be the very last verses in the New Testament, or sorry, in the Old Testament. Um, This is out of Malachi. I'm just going to quickly read this. You can can turn there if you like. Malachi 4, uh, verses 5 and 6. But here's here's what um, Malachi prophesies. Now, before I read this, I, I want you to think of the context. Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament, right? So anything that Malachi is looking forward to is the New Testament, right? It's what Jesus is going to come do. And the closing verses of the Old Testament are looking forward to when the Messiah is going to come, okay? A.K.A. what Malachi is about to talk about is Jesus coming, Okay? Here's here's what he says, verses 4 and 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Elijah the prophet, we know it was John the Baptist. Jesus says that, clarifies. So John the Baptist is going to come before Jesus comes and visits. He says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now look at this verse. This is the crazy thing to me. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. We're talking about Jesus coming. Right? Jesus is about to show up on the scene. And here's what Malachi is saying. We need to get the hearts of the fathers and the sons. and, and So let's say fathers and mothers, sons and daughters. We need to get the hearts of the generations united. Otherwise, when I come, it's going to be destructive. And this is what he says about Jesus. When the Father is on the move, the way the generations are relating to one another is key as a wineskin to hold what God is doing. Malachi is looking forward, saying there's a season of visitation coming. Visitation can either be a blessing or destructive. When God shows up as raw power, if there's not a wineskin to hold it, that raw power can actually blow things apart instead of provide energy for an engine to go somewhere. And what Malachi says is he says, before my Messiah himself shows up, 
The key is getting the generations to relate to one another well. That's what can hold a visitation of the Messiah. It's interesting. God's always committed to family. Even when the father's about to send his son, he starts talking about our fathers and our sons. God's committed to family. Now, what's interesting about our vineyard family right now is this. The reason I say all of this is this. We're about to be heading, or we already are on the early, I think, parts of a new season of visitation. And here's what's interesting. The, the, you know, we've had various seasons of visitation in our, in our movement over, over time. This is the first one that we're facing with two generations. All of our previous visitations were when we were like five years old or 10 years old as a movement. We didn't have fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. We only had sons and daughters. That was all there was. This is the first season where we have fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. And what that means is this is the first time in our history that we got to learn to do this with the generations. We got to learn to have the hearts of the generations come together. Otherwise, the move of the Spirit is actually going to be destructive to our vineyard family instead of constructive. And so I want to talk a little bit about how do we, in 2019, with God on the move in our vineyard family, how are we positioning like this with the generations? Now, if you look at the, the genesis of the vineyard, um, it, it began in the, in the late 70s in Southern California with a bunch of burnt-out hippies that were looking for Jesus. And they were burned out on religion. They were burned out on church. They just wanted God's presence. So they began to worship. The spirit began to fall. Power began to move. And, you know, fast forward 40-ish years, and here we are. There are probably some people in this room that rubbed up against all of that, say, 30-ish years ago or more. Can I actually see real quick? hands up if you were connected in any way to the vineyard, let's say for longer than 25 years. All right, hands up. Hold them high. Hold them high. Okay. I want, I want everybody to look around here. Okay. You'll notice there's a lot more sons and daughters in the room than there are fathers and mothers. Right? The, the, the fathers and mothers, I'll say, are the people that were involved with the early genesis of this thing, the first generation. Most of us are sons and daughters. Now, before, we, before we, we leave, actually, can I have those of you who raise your hand, can you just quickly stand up? I know, you don't like what I'm doing, but I'm doing this, and it, it matters. <laughs> Go ahead and stand up. See, this is actually part of the fathers and mothers generation. They don't, they don't like to be on display. They just want to serve. They're just like, I'm, I'm in this for Jesus. I'm not in this for me. And, and I want to actually highlight that because all of us, us sons and daughters, like, they're modeling the way of our family, right? Like, here's what we got to realize. The rest of us, we're here because of them. We would not be here if these people were not standing right now, right? And so the first thing I want to do is, is say this. Fathers and mothers, we honor and we celebrate you guys.
thank you for paying the price you paid. Because you guys were a forerunner generation, and it did not come cheap. It did not come cheap. And I just want to take this moment for all of us to acknowledge we're building on the foundation that you laid. And we know that that foundation was bought with your blood, sweat, tears, and broken relationships. It came at a cost to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Woo! Okay. That's great. Now I'll let you sit back down. I know that's what you want. <laughs> I want to look at most of us in this room are, are of the sons and daughters generation. If you're in the vineyard, you didn't just stand, you're of the sons and daughters generation. And so I want to specifically talk about how do we as sons and daughters position ourselves. Now, fathers and mothers, there's a flip side to this, and there'll be bits and pieces. I wish we had the time to really teach into both sides heavily. But you guys have been in this so long that as we talk through it, you'll connect the dots on your own. <laughs> and that's beautiful, and that's amazing, and I, and I want to encourage you to, to really step into to kind of an ownership on that. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about, you know, the, that Malachi verse talks about Elijah the prophet coming, right? And the reason for that is because Elijah was a prophetic metaphor of the succession of ministry. Elijah was actually the one prophet that we know that had a successful ministry transition that moved from a father, Elijah, to a son, Elisha. And so I want to actually zoom in a little bit on that prophetic succession and ask, what can we as sons and daughters learn from Elisha in how to steward um, and, and pick up a baton that's being offered to us, so to speak? This is, is, before we head in, just real quick, we have to realize there is no guarantee that the original deposit of the vineyard is going to roll forward in our generation. Read church history. I'm a huge fan of church history. I love it. Most church movements do not transition their DNA well. The track record is overwhelmingly against us. So we go into this realizing there's a window of opportunity we have. We want to strike while the iron's hot. We want to grab that while we can. And so I want to encourage you, as you're listening to this, this is something we either do or we don't. And if we don't, there's something of the vineyard DNA and legacy that will kind of burn out in our world. And I think that that would be a shame. I don't think that's what the Father's heart is. So <clears throat> we're going to look at uh, 2 Kings 2. And this is maybe one of the more overpreached passages, and so I'm sorry if you've heard 100 sermons on this already, but you probably haven't heard it with exactly this context. Um, now, Elijah and Elisha, Elijah shows up, uh, you know, a few chapters earlier in 1 Kings, and he's like incredible. He just walks on the scene, he's moving in massive power, he's calling Israel to repentance, you know, there's the prophets of Baal, there's all of that. Elijah is incredible. But Elijah is a little bit out on his own, and it's really hard. And so uh, Queen Jezebel gets in his head, freaks him out. He runs off into the desert, says, God, I, I, I don't, I'm out. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. God says, go rise up, or raise up Elisha as your successor. And so he comes back. 
He gets Elisha, and there's this kind of like prophetic mentorship thing that happens for a number of years. Um, scholars estimate that Elijah and Elisha were together for like at least seven or eight years. Could have been longer. So it actually wasn't short. It wasn't like 15 minutes. Sometimes I read this and go, oh, 15 minutes later. No, they, they were working together for a long time. And this is something that actually everyone was aware of. Everyone knew that Elisha was Elijah's successor. In fact, you know, there's like that one story where like um, Elijah, or foreign countries are fighting and they're losing their battles. And they're like, what do we do? And the, the one guy goes, oh, yeah, 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 that's, that's Elisha. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah and now he's hearing our battle plans in his bedroom. <laughs> We make our plans, he hears them from miles away. So even other nations knew that Elisha was Elijah's successor. Like, everybody is aware of this, okay? Now, the day comes when uh, Elijah is going to wind up going home. And it says Elisha knows it. And so Elijah is basically just trying to kind of ditch Elijah. He goes, I'm, I'm headed this way. You're good. I poured into you for eight years. I raised you up. Everybody knows you're my successor. I'm going to hit the road. And Elisha's like, eh, not, not buying that. I'm going with you. So he goes, okay, that's fine. So they go to Bethel. Bethel is a small, um, it's like a village. It's not a massive city. But when they get there, they, they meet a bunch of prophets. Sons of the prophets is, is what they're called. And they come out and they have a conversation. And Elijah's like, all right, you're good here, okay? I dropped you off at the prophetic school. Everybody now sees, yes, you're my successor. Here, I'm leaving you in charge of these guys. I'm headed off to Jericho. And Elijah goes, nope, I'm going with you. So, okay, fine, whatever. So he goes with him to Jericho. Same thing happens. All the prophets come out, they talk. And Elijah's like, I'm reading in between the lines here a little bit, but what I'm reading is what we're supposed to be picking up, the subtext. They get there, and they have another conversation with the prophets. And Elijah is like, all right, that was a good idea, Elisha. We came to the biggest city around. This is the biggest school of the prophets. So this is like the ministry that you could succeed, right? So it's a good idea. If they all see me, you leave you here. Everyone will know that you're a big deal. And Elijah's like, nope. Or Elisha's like, nope, I'm going with you. So they go, they go to the river, you know, he strikes the river, it parts, they go across, and here's the conversation as it picks up. This is in uh, 2 Kings 2.9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I'll do for you before I am taken from you. Now, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me kind of translate that into how I would say that. Elijah said to Elisha, what on earth are you looking for? I poured into you for eight years, I tried to drop you off at the biggest prophetic school in the nation. Everybody knows you're already a big deal. So what more do you want? I've given you everything I could give you. <clears throat> and Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, here's what's interesting. And I think it's fascinating that Elisha sees this and Elijah doesn't. I actually find that same dynamic happening in our vineyard family. There's something that the second generation can see that's a little harder, actually, for the first generation to see. What Elijah is asking for here is he's asking for his inheritance. The firstborn son always got a double portion of the inheritance. 
This is just how it worked in those days. So when he's saying, I want a double portion of your spirit, he's not just saying, I want to do more miraculous stuff than you. Although if you read, there is more recorded miraculous stuff that Elisha does than Elijah. But what he's really saying is he's saying this, look, you have poured into me, you have discipled me, you have raised me up, you have given me a platform. Everybody knows that I'm your ministry successor. But that's not my inheritance. What my inheritance is, is that the same spirit that's on you would be on me. I want that same spirit to be on me. And I think that we, as a vineyard family, we have to realize that our inheritance doesn't live in like structures, like, like it's not our churches. Our churches matter. We need to learn to steward them and pass them on and grow them and plant more of them and all of that stuff. But it's, it's not in our structures. Our inheritance as the vineyard family is that the same spirit that rested in Southern California and began to spread around the world, that same spirit rests on us. That's what our inheritance is in the vineyard family. And that's the thing that we need. The first generations, if you look at them, the first generations are like, yes, that is it. That's what we want. Because what happened 40 years ago, that spirit of the vineyard, as it were, (laughs) happened because there were a group of people that got apprehended by the kingdom. There were a group of people where eternity itself began to come crashing in their lives as the Holy Spirit moved from an idea they read about in the Bible to a reality. There he is. That's the Holy Spirit doing something. And what happened is that so gripped people's lives that they began to do what Jesus says happens when the kingdom apprehends you. They began to sell all that they had to buy the field to get the pearl. And so they became this radical group of forerunners. They did crazy things like, I'm going to quit my job and move across the country to a place I don't have a job because I want to plant a church. Why? Because I've been so gripped by this kingdom thing. And so they began to orient the entirety of their lives around the kingdom in a way that wasn't measured. It was extreme. And that extremeness, that being gripped, being apprehended by the kingdom, that's the spirit of the vineyard. And that's the thing I want to make sure does not fall out of our tribe. There has been a group of radical forerunners that have blazed a trail ahead for us. We now get to pick up the inheritance they hand us. They spent blood, sweat, and tears for 40 years, and they're handing us this thing. And it did not cost us 40 years of blood, sweat, and tears. It cost them 40 years of blood, sweat, and tears, though. And so what we need to do is treat it with the same value that it cost them. And that's difficult because it didn't cost me much at all. All it cost me was showing up at a vineyard church someday. But they blazed a trail, and so now I need to capture that spirit and value it and safeguard it and run my next 40 years the way they ran their 40 years. So Elisha goes, hey, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. It's hard to carry this for 40 years. I know. I've I've got the bruises. 
Uh, you've asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken for you, from you, it shall not be so for you. But if you do not, or it shall be so for you. But if you don't see me, it won't be so. Here's what I find fascinating. Elijah, Elijah goes, okay, yeah, 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 you can have that inheritance, but here's the deal. You gotta be, you gotta be seeing me when it leaves or you're not gonna get it. Now, what's, what's going on there? Why is exactly he saying that? Well, I, there may be some deep spiritual reason happening there that I don't understand. Here's what I do know. Elijah's like, okay, you want this spirit on you? That's cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you with the last minute and a half that I'm here on this earth, I'm gonna teach you how to steward that spirit. And the first thing you're gonna do is when the power shows up, you're gonna learn to control your focus. You're not gonna get distracted. You're not gonna run everywhere. In other words, he's teaching him the ways of the family, so to speak. Second generation, if you happen to be so fortunate as to be around one of the first generation people, learn their ways. Learn their ways. They know what it's like to be apprehended by the kingdom. They know what it's like to spend 40 years or 25 or however long of their life pressing into this thing. Let them get their hands on you, even if it's only for 15 minutes. There's something really significant in that. There, it, it, man, I really wish I had a whole nother hour to keep pressing into this. Um, there is something spiritually significant about a generation blessing the next one to keep going forward. And I don't know about you, I have a tendency to reduce blessings to sort of like kind words that might have a little bit of like spiritual juice on them or something, you know? It's like, oh, you're just saying nice things. But that's not the way that spiritual blessings and family inheritance are looked at in the Bible. The way they're looked at is this. There's, there's an there's a inheritance of momentum in the family that the, fathering, the father generation stewards. And when the time comes, the family blessing transfers all of that family momentum into the next generation. It's not just a, I'm saying a nice thing. It's actually a spiritual exchange it's saying, okay, I have cultivated, I have stewarded this, now it's yours to cultivate and steward. And something happens in that transfer that really makes a huge difference. This is why, just parenthetically, you ever read, read that passage where um, Isaac mixes up and blesses Jacob instead of Esau, right? And, and Esau comes in and he says something. He goes, Father, isn't there a blessing for me too? And what would my response be? Oh, of course, I can say nice things about you. But Isaac goes, nope, it's all gone. The exchange has happened, and it can't be taken back. Like, it's been given to him. Like, there's a real interchange, and my nice words aren't doing anything. It's not about the words. It's about me saying, you've got it, now go. And so, second generation, we need that blessing from our fathers and mothers. We need to get around them and say, I want you to get your hands on me because I need you to release the momentum of your generation of the vineyard into my life and our generation's life. <clears throat> Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Oh yeah, the chariots of fire showed up. I skipped that part. That's fine. We're, we're giving the succinct version for time here. 
Elisha saw it and cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Now, here's the last thing that I want to pull out of this. And I know you're all thinking about lunch, so we'll get there soon. Then he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted from one side to the other, and Elisha went over. So Elijah goes up to heaven. It's this, like, moment. And what happens, what Elisha does is fascinating. So Elijah goes up to heaven. His cloak falls down, okay? Elisha's response is super interesting. The first thing he does tears his clothes. Now, remember, this is like a long time ago when there's no factories making clothing. It was not like simple to get a pair of clothes, you know? Like, oh, I'm going to go down to the corner, buy one for a few bucks. Like, it, that's not the way the world works at this time, right? Clothing is expensive, it's time-consuming to make, and you take a lot of care with it. And so him tearing his clothing is a very intense action. It's not the equivalent of you and I tearing our own clothing. It's much more significant. And what is Elisha saying? Elisha is saying in this, he's saying, there's a way that my life is not my own anymore. I'm tearing away a measure, really, of my own individuality so that I can pick up the inheritance that I now have to steward. I can't wear my clothes and his clothes. The only thing I can do is wear one or the other. So what am I doing? I'm losing who I was, and I'm stepping into the family that I now represent. Vineyard Generation 2, most of us, hello. I love you guys. We're awesome. I know this is kind of an intense message, but please don't think that I don't like you. I'm just very intense about our DNA being preserved and stewarded well, okay? I, I'm increasingly convinced that this DNA will be just fine if we will take enough ownership and responsibility. It's when we go, oh, well, I can have my own clothes and the vineyard clothes. I can, I can do that. And what happens is there's this kind of watering down there's this loss that happens. Because when, when God asks you to steward something, this is a side we don't necessarily like to talk about, it costs you a lot. The stewardship of things in the kingdom is not free. Like, everyone gets in for free, right? We get in because, because of what Jesus did, right? And so, like, we get in for free. We're not saving ourselves but what you'll find is the further you go in, the more it's going to cost you, right? Like Jesus starts with the disciples, and he says, oh, hey, come follow me. All you got to do is say yes. It's easy. It's not until much later he goes, anyone who wants to follow me needs to take up his own cross. The price grows, right? Vineyard Generation 2, I want to urge you. We have been given something precious and beautiful. We have. There is a foundation that is unbelievable. There is no other church movement on the planet like ours. And I think 
that this beautiful DNA that God has entrusted to us is, is critical for the church moving forward. It is incredible, it is unique, it is beautiful. So what I want to encourage you is this. I want to encourage you to sell all that you have to buy the field to get the pearl. When my graduate career was wrapping up, um, I, by most estimations, a degree in, in quantum physics, a PhD in quantum physics is at least top five of the most difficult degrees in the world to get. The school that I went to is top 10 in the US in that field. In some fields of physics, it's literally the number one university in the world. I didn't leave physics because I wasn't good at it. <laughs> I, I never actually counted, but I was easily top 20% in my class. Awarded, you can go to the, there's, my name's on plaques and stuff. I didn't leave physics because I couldn't hack it. When the time came, it was clear to me that I had an option where I could keep, along, keep going along the direction of physics, or I could crash land a physics career and head into ministry. The first year that I came on staff, I made less than one-sixth of the median starting salary for my degree. Less than one-sixth. It's just... Along the way, I've had the opportunity to be critiqued and criticized. I've been called the H-word, heretic. <laughs> I've had blog posts and web articles written about me that were less than positive. I've had a lot of positive stuff too. Okay, don't, don't worry. I'm, not, I'm just saying there's a price that I have had to pay with this. There's a price that comes with the stewardship of this. I have never for one second, that was almost 10 years ago now that I crash landed my physics career. I have never for one second regretted it. In his joy, he sold all that he had to go buy the field and get the pearl. When the kingdom apprehends you, the price is an investment, not a sacrifice. What I want to challenge each of us in Vineyard Second Generation is I want to I challenge you with this. Have you really been apprehended by the kingdom? See, it's easy to be in this movement, hear the kingdom stories, and go, oh yeah, the kingdom's exciting. But the thing about the kingdom is this. It doesn't share your life with you. When the kingdom apprehends you, it rolls on up to your life and it goes, oh, it's really cute. You think you're in charge. You're not in charge at all. And the kingdom starts driving your life, not the other way around. You don't fit the kingdom in on your life. The kingdom swallows you whole and it starts incorporating you into what it is doing. And I want to urge, I want to exhort us, Vineyard Generation 2, if you have not been apprehended by the kingdom in that way, first of all, it doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. I just want to urge you, realize that needs to happen. 
Press in. Ask the Lord for it. You can't make it happen. I didn't make the Lord show up in China. I didn't even believe in him. He chose to show up. All I did was, was make a decent choice or two after he did. I want to urge us, let us not let the, the embers of our movement cool. They're too precious and they're too beautiful. And they, they stay warm as we add the fuel of our own lives to it. There's a beautiful thing and it's on the table for you. It's on the table for you. So let's do this. Everybody stand. I know I went, I went a little bit over. Just put your hands out. We're going to do a kind of a quick prayer time. We're not going to do full-on ministry because I'm aware I already went over, but you can't preach all this and not do any prayer. <laughs> it's the vineyard way, right? That's right. Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful tribe. I thank you for the season that we're in. I thank you, Lord, for your heart of a new season for our vineyard. And Lord, right now, I actually want to invite you to do this. If this is physically difficult, uh, then, then just maybe sit in your chairs. But if you can, will you actually get on your knees with me here? Yeah, sit in your chair if not, it's fine. Or if there's not enough room or something. Jesus, we just say... What you have poured out in your kingdom, in the beautiful DNA that you have instilled in our vineyard family, God, we just say it's too precious for us not to sacrifice our very lives into this thing that you're doing in our world. And so God, here we are, God, we're on our knees. God, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, God. This is our spiritual act of worship, to give of our very lives into this beautiful thing you're doing, which is much bigger than any of us. God, I thank you for this tribe. Would you take us, Lord? Would you take us, and would you graft us, God, into the next chapter of what you're doing in this global family that you call the vineyard. It's an honor, it's a privilege, God, to be a part of what you're doing. And we say you may have all of us. You may have the entirety of our lives. There's nothing we hold back. There's nothing we say you can't have or you can't take. Take, take the entirety of us, God, and mold us into who you want us to be. Apprehend us by your kingdom. Apprehend us by your kingdom, God, whether for the very first time or just do it all over again in our hearts. But whatever it is, Lord, we want to be gripped by you and we want our lives to be living towards what you're doing. It's in your name we pray for your glory to be shown in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's get some lunch.